Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Archibald from Western University. As you know, many speech language pathologists in Canada are employed in schools. Their job is to support children with communication disabilities in accessing the curriculum and achieving their academic and personal potential. It's a challenging job. So many schools, so many students, and not many SLPs. Across the country, SLPs are finding unique solutions to providing the best possible services to the students and school teams with whom they work. In this podcast, our guests describe their innovations in school-based speech-language pathology. Thanks for listening as we shine a light on some brilliant projects. All right, so here we are today. Welcome to our podcast. And Melinda, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, please. Sure. My name is Melinda Hinch. I'm a speech-language pathologist with the Greater Essex County District School Board. And that school board consists of um, the city of Windsor, Ontario, and within Essex County. Nice. Very good. How long have you been with that board, Melinda? Oh, I've been with this board for 27 years. And prior to that, I was a couple years in the Halton School Board. And in between, I did some little stints in some community agencies, preschool agencies. Great. Oh, great. So can you tell us about um, what the sort of complement of your speech and language services, the folks in your department, your, generally your service model there? Sure, we, um, we, we're considered like a middle-sized board. We're, consider, um, we're a very diverse board. We have um, many different languages, um, many different socioeconomic um, um, areas as well. Uh, so we have um, nine full-time speech language pathologists and we have one and a half communicative disorder assistants. Um, we did lose um, two positions um, prior to the pandemic and we feel that uh, we're trying to, to get those positions back, rally them back. And uh, that's just the nature of, of working in, in a school board system. Yes. Two mm-hmm. speech language pathologists, Melinda, that was. That's two complete positions, uh-huh. right? Right. Yes. And then, and uh, who, what's your avenue for rallying there? Who, what, uh, where do you guys have to go? Well, um, we talk to our, at our trustee meetings, mm-hmm. um, we light fires under parents that will go forth and they do go forth. Um, we speak at the special ed SEAC um, meetings as well that have um, some trustees as well as agency representatives. And that, that's how we're going forth. Right, right. Very good. Thanks, Melinda. So, um, you know, I know this might be looking backwards now, but uh, thinking about what were some of the major challenges that you guys have noticed um, that might have sparked a change uh, in what you're doing. So what, what was happening sure. uh, in your service delivery? Sure. Uh, well, prior, you know, about before, I guess, before 10 years ago, um, and I, I guess it would be like other school boards as well, we were working within a medical model, within a clinical model in schools. And uh, the referrals would come to us um, from um, teachers or um, uh, through parents. And uh, there might not have, it might not have been necessarily an appropriate referral. It might've been a referral that should have been done earlier. Um, we were working in isolation. Um, and we, we noticed that, the generalization 
of um, language goals um, wasn't happening. And we also noticed that with vocabulary and language that uh, we needed to be having more contact with the educators in our schools and, and connecting more with what they were teaching so that we could help our students um, progress. So at that time, was that then like fully consultative where you were doing like sort of full assessments on the next person on the referral list? Is right, that we, would, we yeah. would do uh, an assessment on speech and, and there was probably more articulation back then that we did as well. Mm -hmm. We did uh, full assessments on speech and language and then we also did um, therapy as well. Oh, I see, right. And um, we did it all the way through, like from it, it, there was no um, grade limit at that point. Ah, right. How many? So, how many schools would you have been working in at that time? Um, at that time, uh, maybe about. I started um, before our school boards amalgamated, so our, our Windsor and Essex did come together. So that's a, that's a hard measure, but you might have six or seven schools. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I didn't ask you this earlier, but you, at that time when you were doing the intervention, you would have been doing it yourself. Would you have had CDAs at that time? Uh, we did have some more CDAs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, you had some more and they mm -hmm. might have been supporting that intervention Correct. piece. Correct. I see. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then you were noticing when you, that you would turn out probably your assessment reports and that that was a disconnect, I think. Is that what you were, were They were at? beautiful reports that we wrote. They were lovely and um, full of uh, a great deal of data and full of uh, lists and lists of recommendations mm -hmm. um, that, that uh, again, wasn't in alignment with what we're doing now and seeing the improvement, what we're getting. Mm. So you saw that... Um though that wasn't really in impacting the classroom though, th that approach. Right. Now yeah. it does, it did work for articulation and it mm. did work for um, some very early syntactic morphological types of interventions, mm. absolutely. Mm. But it didn't work on that classroom based vocabulary and language development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. So that's again, those sort of individualized targets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, that's always this big, um, sort of a tug of war, isn't it? Because it is. uh, as we can increase our classroom impact, we can impact more kids, but then it's harder to get at those individualized goals. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And we also, uh, like I would say over 10 years ago, we didn't see as many of, of the multi-complex students mm -hmm. that we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. The students that we are like, uh, we do transition students in from agencies into kindergarten and we go into their, we go into their preschools and we um, observe them to, to support the transition in September. Um, it's most notably that, that um, these these children are coming in with far more complex needs than what we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So around that time, um, Melinda, you you decided to take another look. You were looking for something that would help you get that classroom impact. Is that right? Exactly. And it yeah. started off reading um, some literature coming out of Michigan, being in Windsor, we're a border city and going to some workshops over there and reading about the, this would have been about 13, 14, 15 years ago, reading the research coming out about the RTI models for literacy. 
Right. And so that's response to intervention. Exactly. Yeah. So Melinda, can you talk, talk about that, what you learned about that and what, what really hit home for you? Right. RTI, it's, it's a theoretical model um, that uh, basically states that if educators are doing, um, are, are using research-based interventions and doing them with fidelity, that approximately 85% of the students in that, in their, in their class and their program will succeed the benchmarks for whatever they're teaching. So whether it's literacy, whether it's, we talk about math, whether it's behavioral, um, and most recently, I mean, we looked at some vocabulary and language as well. So if, if, um, if the educators are doing that, then that means 15 to 20 percent of the students um, will need some extra support. So then we look at, OK, 15 percent of those students, in addition to that great teaching that those educators are doing, are going to need to have some more individualized program. In addition to the tier one, that is more precise, more intentional. Um, it could be individual, could be small groups. But you're looking, then you're going to look at the frequency, the length, and um, the number of students in those groups. And then we have 5% of those students that are going to need even more support. They're not going to get enough to reach those benchmarks. And theirs theirs becomes quite intensive and quite precise. Mm -hmm. And then we have probably just less than 1% of those students that are like the multi-complex students that we've talked about um, previously Mm -hmm. that we know right away we're not going to tier those students. We're going to um, fill out the consent process. And, and typically in September, those are the first kids that we we dive into because they need support right away. Yes. Nice. So we had that, like you said, that strong uh, base uh, inter or educational approach, right? That uh, that tier one, right? That, that strong program in the classroom. Um, and then that tier two being those extra supports, more frequent of the, what's going on in the classroom and perhaps some individualization Correct. as well. Correct. And then you're- And it's all, that is within the classroom. The right. tier two is within it's that classroom within environment. Classroom. Okay. And then the tier three, it may be kids who need something even different as well as more as well. Right. And some of those kids uh, might go straight to tier three, which is, you know, which is an interesting piece, right? We often get this worry that RTIs just wait to fail in a different way that you have to go through tier yeah. one and tier, but in you've, you've got some mechanisms for, for kids to move right to checks tier and three. balances. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 For sure. Yeah. And so um, was that something that you were looking at within the speech and language services or as a whole board? Well, it started off as a whole board because there were some um, ministry money bombs back then. Mm-hmm. And one was called one was called the Code Project and one was called OPA through Ontario Psychological Association. So um, our chief psychologist, uh, Dr. Crenwell, um, back when he wasn't chief, he was he was my peer. He he's still my peer. Mm-hmm. He and I um, were selected to um, to lead that team with um, a special education coordinator and and we, um, we provided uh, PD in um, some pilot schools. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we used um, Dibbles as the universal screener for literacy. And we got trained as Dibble mentors. And um, we, I think we piloted um, about uh, four schools with OPA and some other schools with the code project. So that's where it all, that language started coming into it. And it was at a very grassroots level back then. 
Right. The language of response to intervention, you mean? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, so you found out about response to intervention and then you did this initial project. Correct. Have I got that right? Yeah. Exactly. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the course, the key in response to intervention is, is the progress monitoring piece, mm-hmm. right? You can, it, it's mm-hmm. absolutely crucial, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what you're describing as the Dibbles piece? Right. Dibbles has the universal screeners and it also had the progress monitoring booked in. So we, we were teaching teachers and we, we did, we went and modeled it as well. We were teaching them how to do those screeners and how to intervene and which kids needed to have progress monitoring the ones that you know were in the tier two and then tier three groups. And we also worked with schools on how to develop a protocol for those assessments. Sometimes the, 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 the classroom teacher did it all. Sometimes the school would use all their extra staff and come in and, and do it. So it was up to the size of the schools and what the principal wanted, had, how the principal wanted to deliver the, um, the assessments. I see. Right. And then you were wrapping these interventions around them. Were they coming from the speech and language services? Were they at the educational level? Um, it wasn't as much back then. Um, I, I'm, I'm very lucky because I had um, my background at the University of Western with um, um, Dr. Janice Warleeper. So I had all that language, school-age language information behind me, but I did my practicums in the um, Hamilton, Burlington area. So I got the influence of Dr. Hyla Rubin, who at that time was an Orton-Gillingham queen. And so I went and I trained as an Orton-Gillingham specialist. So I I think I was unique in that department, but then I found um, the ways like in the area of phonemic awareness that has speech and language written all over it. So we were able to have the speech language pathologists in all the schools give PD on on phonological awareness. Mm -hmm, So that was the first introduction to the department on taking that, that PD kind of role in all the schools at a tier one level. Right. So the one of those targets was that um, phonemic awareness, which makes that bridge between language and literacy so well, mm-hmm. being a good predictor, then to try to get that as, as part of your tier one program. Correct. So mm-hmm. up to that point, we were only seen as tier, we were, we were, we're we had under the special education silo. So we weren't seen as um, pr- uh program curriculum people at that point in time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this was your, you know, and, and then there's, a, we, we, there were some difficult conversations that occurred as well, because in any type of government institution, there are silos that go on. So it was trying to um, build bridges between the program and curriculum people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And were they, uh, you know, were, were they seeking that information at that time, uh, Melinda? Did you? Not at that time. Yeah. No, not at that time. It was a very different time. Uh, they love the stuff on anything on vocabulary and language and Vygotsky and, uh, and anything Hannon based, but other um, structured literacy approaches, it was not in their um educational pedagogy. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you're, you're having big theoretical issues. And so you, you did have some big differences between special education and program at that point in time, mm-hmm. which isn't the case anymore, which right. is like, we watch, we watched those bridges connect beautifully in the past two years. Right. Yes. Really nice. So 
you moved on from that project and your whole department then moved towards the, an RTI kind of approach. Can you yeah. describe what that looks like just in a sort of a sure. general way? Sure. So, I mean, we've, we've seen some, and, and we're all at our various stages in this and that's mm-hmm. like, we're, we're not all there and that's okay, but we all are on that journey. Mm-hmm. And I guess it started, I'm, um, I was selected. We don't have a supervisor. Um, our school board is too small to have a supervisor, but I was invited to go to the, um, the chief uh, uh, supervisors um, of speech language pathology groups and education. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, I got to meet in Toronto area with them. And that was an aha moment because we got to, you, you really get to connect with other people having the exact same curriculum that you have, exact same difficulties that you have. And they have time, the supervisors have more time in their day to lead projects like this. So at that time, they were, we were talking about the RTI model and I was able to sit and um, help with, uh, I think Christiane Kite was the um, lead at that time. And uh, they penned up a draft of what, it, what does it look like for speech language pathologists. And I, I was able to bring that back to my department. And we talked about, we really had to sit down and, and talk about what can we do in each tier and then really define that. So we're all looking at making it as consistent as possible. So when we talk about math vocabulary, what does that mean? And what, what can we do with math vocabulary to help the whole classroom. And so we really went through and itemized everything we do, every committee we can sit on, every um, lunch and learn we can give anything. And then we itemize versus tier one, tier two, and tier three. And it's not always so well divided. Some things go in between. And and that's where we talk about what's good for all. So what's, what's, what we think about as tier, this is one of the biggest aha things is what we think about as tier three for our, our complex students can really benefit the entire classroom. Yes. Interesting. I, I, I want to come back to that statement sure. in just a second, but let's uh, think if we can just give a few more examples. So if we, if we zero in on, on tier one, right. then what are the kinds of services that your special anthropologist would be doing and being considered tier one service? Well, one of the big things was the emotional vocabulary and literacy program that we, we did. We were able to um, uh, work with the superintendent of mental health and well-being which was crossing a silo as well, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. Yes. And um, there was some work done at, in Thames Valley in your neck of the woods uh, mm-hmm. on emotional vocabulary. And we kind of um, looked at the research behind um, repeated readings and we selected, we got a group together and we include some psychologists and speech language pathologists. And we um, did a six week program using repeated readings and highlighting uh, emotional, like the, the, the feeling words and having four targets. Basically, you got to name it to tame it. What is it? What does it look like in a mirror? Um, do an, a narrative for it. Um, when I am sad, I can. And, that, and then look at the synonyms behind those words because we know that mad and enraged 
there's a large scale between mad and, and enraged. And we collected data on that in multiple schools. And we saw some, we had some fascinating improvements. We did um, um, delayed controls in, in, in many of our schools. And so it was highly, highly effective program that all schools have access to now. They have all the books and now all the books are on YouTube, which, make, which made it easy, easier during the pandemic. Um, but we've, we've very, we have lesson plans for those. Neat. And so when you said those are six weeks, that was you going into the classroom and delivering it in the classroom? Well, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't deliver it. We gave the PD to the teachers and, the, and it was kindergarten. So it was teachers and ECEs on how to deliver it. Mm -hmm. We did all the pre and post assessments for the right. um, data collection, but we gave um, PD to all the schools. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Great. So that's uh, really increasing the capacity of your tier one program, right? Things like that. Nice. All right. Let's think about, uh, and, and was that done jointly with psychology, that emotional vocabulary and yes. learning? Yes. Mm -hmm. Neat. Neat. Okay. We, we also did math vocabulary that well, when the, when math became emphasized right. as, as a, a huge crisis in education, right. what comes back to is that is what we do in vocabulary and language and umbrellas everything curricular from the moment that child walks into the school they have to have they have to have great vocabulary and language to access any part of the curriculum so we we dove into so that my um so a special education coordinator and myself went into and looked at the work uh, by marzano and we um, developed, it's called um, Growing Vocabulary in Math. And we made um, a document for kindergarten and for grade ones to three. And we identified all the vocabulary that students have to be to, be, um, to have success in math. And mm -hmm. that was lofty, but it was amazing because we found that at, that at the kindergarten level, the vocabulary was, um, was more of the, the, the wow vocabulary, I guess. It was more uh, hands-on. It wasn't tangible vocabulary. So you're looking at your prepositions, your, your concepts, that kind of thing. And then you saw that shifting as you got up through grade three, where it was more of those, those meaty math words by the time you're in grade three. But we did it for each each math strand. So right. I, that, that was that, and we still use that. We just have to add to it with the new math strands that have popped up in the curriculum. Yes. And so that was uh, broken down by those, uh, those grades. And then there was a, um, a sort of teaching lesson plan with it or. We gave PD to everybody and we all, I mean, it, it all starts in the school. It, you have to have buy-in from the principals in the school. Mm -hmm. So our superintendents would first put us on principals meetings and we would go and give like a 20 minute overview to them. And then the principals would figure out how it would work in their school. Some of them had PLC time available. Some would offer their staff pizza, come in for a lunch and learn. Some would be during a staff meeting. So it depends on that school, but it all has to be that top down in order for it to be successful in a school. Yes. The PLC, the, the, if a school had their primary learning groups, right, uh, then you might be able to become a part of them. We did. And that's yeah. exactly, we became a part of them. They've kind of gone by the wayside in the past mm -hmm. few years, but mm -hmm. um, we're hoping that they're going to come back soon because mm -hmm. that is where you see when you talk about your um, students in need that aren't, that aren't um, responding to intervention, that's the time that you can problem solve for those students in mm -hmm. any area. Yes. Yes. Interesting. All right. Can we think about um, the tier two then? What did you put in place for your mm -hmm. tier two services? 
Sure. So that's based on your data, right? You determine who your students are for tier two. Um, and uh, so, for example, right now we're involved in the science of reading and uh, we have um, purchased literacy kits for all of our um, uh, K to three. And in those literacy kits for tier two, we would have the Alconan boxes for phonemic awareness. You have the manipulables, the tokens, the magnetic wands, um, whiteboards, cookie sheets for magnets. So um, it's, a, it's more multi-sensory than tier one is. And there's enough for five to six students that you can have at a small group. Mm. And so that would be the, the teacher in the classroom doing some more intensive work with some students. Right. And mm -hmm. with, the, with the shift now, um, that now that in our school board, and I think across Ontario, the, it's not going to be called balanced literacy anymore. It's going to be called structured literacy. That would be done at what used to be called the guided reading table. So mm -hmm. you're doing structured literacy at that round table now, which is your, which we are we're, um, suggesting to teachers your, your kids that already have the vocabulary and the language and the phonemic awareness and the phonic skills, they don't need as many of those small groupings. It's the students that, that um, their data shows them that they're struggling. They need more of those small groups. Yeah. So they're the ones that will be at, the, at that table working with the teacher. Mm -hmm. And so you're um, setting up those materials um, and providing training, I guess, uh, yes. as you introduce those materials so that folks can easily pull those groups right. together right. in their classroom. Yes. Yeah. And we have, we provide, we've made videos that we've shared. We have um, PowerPoint slides that we share. Um, we are learning support teachers or the main spec ed person in the school. They're our go-to. So they're very well trained. They're the middle person that um, that can handle the day-to-day -day questions since we're only at the school once a week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. Nice. And what about tier three then, Melinda? Tier three, um, again, those are the those are the, the students that we work with and we try to do our best, like work with directly mm -hmm. within that classroom environment. So um, the reason, and sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's crazy and chaotic, but that's where we see those skills generalized. So we might bring, um, if we know there's a certain um, uh, something going on, we might bring in a, a, share, a book and do a shared reading with some students and work focus on something that that student needs, whether it's WH questions for comprehension or but some linear sequencing or whatever it might be. And then the great thing about that is there's always somebody around peeking at what you're doing. So they'll be able to carry it through when you're not there doing it. Mm -hmm. And with mm -hmm. our multi-complex students, um, they might typically, they, we don't have one-to-one -one, um, sharing. It's usually shared support, but it's the same kind of thing. We might bring in our, um, if the student's using a core board for conversation, we might bring in some types of activities to focus on some vocabulary on that core board and leave it there with, with the educators until we come back next week and, and demonstrate how we can work on functional communication in the class. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think those are some good strategies because when you go, going back to those lists of recommendations that you talked about at the mm -hmm. beginning, right, they seem overwhelming for teachers, I think. Right. Um, and so some of these strategies might help to make that more manageable. 
Right, right. So, I mean, you've talked a lot about dynamic assessment in the past. That's become uh, more and more important to us that we look, you have an asset-based lens, which means you see exactly where that student is and you know your scopes and sequences, you know your developmental continuum. So you know exactly what that next step has to be. And then you're gonna wait a few weeks and go back and tap in to see with intervention, has the student made progress in that area? And if not, why not? We gotta go back and hone in on something different. And if so, well, let's go on to the next step. Is that what's happening, Melinda? You, you're seeing a, a, a child with a, in a sort of a dynamic assessment approach repeatedly? Like how often would that be? How well, if I'm in there, like, I mean, it's easier with the kids. It's, it's, it's I mean, you don't see uh, the growth isn't as quick with the multi-complex students, right. but with other students, sure. So we've taken my favorite resource. And I want to favorite, my favorite resource is oral language at your fingertips. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have my English copy and my French copy <laughs> right here. So they have really nice scopes and sequences in there. And so mm -hmm. I just, I just rewrote it and I, I put, because, um, and I said, what is, what did, what do those skills look like for the JK student? What do those skills look like for the SK student? Then I looked at kind of how they do the, the, they have the five um, fingers. So you have phonological awareness, vocabulary. So what does vocabulary look like for a JK, SK? So that they can see how those skills grow and mm -hmm. that you know what you have to work on. And then if students, um, do have multi, if they're going to go for an IEP, then you see the next goal right there. It makes that IEP goal very easy to write out. Mm -hmm. And that's the OSLA resource, the Ontario Associations for Speech Language. Yes. yes yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it's still available through. Osla. I just did a book yeah. talk on it with 40 people this morning. <laughs> nice. Well, that sounds like a great uh, resource uh, that that sort of um, developmental sequence or the scope and sequence as you're calling it for mm -hmm. those different Correct. areas. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Um, and your, you talked about an asset-based lens. I, I, you know, I really like that phrase. Can you talk a little bit about, more about that? Melinda? Right. Well, you know, that the, the kindergarten program is, is um, written from an asset uh, uh, lens, right? So you see the reporting when, when educators um, do the report. It's what can the student do, not what can't they do. It's mm -hmm. what can they do. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, we're going more in a dynamic assessment allows for that. What, yeah. where are they? What exactly? You're not, you're not worried about the next steps that they can't do. We're just like, where are they now? And what's the next step that we need to work on? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, so now, uh, you know, come up to present day now, Melinda, where we've got Ontario, you know, really sort of uh, thinking hard about the science of reading and, mm -hmm. and how's that fitting in with your service? It's making me smile. I'm just <laughs> so excited. It's been, it's just been so long waiting for it to systematically happen at a tier one level. We, I mean, um, we use Empower in our, our school board for our, uh, our students um, who are tier three three with um, very specific um, reading difficulties. Um, and we have, we've always had, we had Lexia for our um, tier two as a tier two supplement. Um, but to be able to have influence over a new science that's been going on for almost 30 years to, to, um, to, 
help our teachers teach our kids how to read is exciting, exciting. Mm -hmm. you know, my daughter just graduated from um, the faculty of education and, and she didn't learn anything about how to teach kids how to read. I mean, she knows because she hears my conversations um, and has been a part of what I do in my videos. Always use your children in your own videos. <laughs> um, but uh, there, we do have a long way to go on it, but it's exciting to know that they are using science now um, to to um, support our students. And if you're working in the schools, especially um, after the pandemic, um, we know we, it's, a, it's a great time to have this happen because our students' vocabulary and language and literacy are, are quite, delayed. Mm -hmm. quite delayed. Yeah. So the, um, I think we're gonna see the, the teacher training is gonna take some time, but what about the teachers that you have that you're working with there are they how are you working with them uh, well in their response okay so our our plan was kibosh last year because of the supply shortage that we had mm. so we uh intended on having um we, we do have a working team which is a um a special education coordinator the chief of psychology and two program consultants, so two curriculum consultants, and one of those specializes in French immersion, and myself. And then we have a larger group that we report to, which consists of, of principals and um, superintendents. So the working group, we started working about a year and a half because we knew what was coming down. Like we right. could feel it. There were rumors out there um, were, that what was going to happen. Um, we all know, but, you know, we know the, the positivity that of Orton Gillingham approach and, mm -hmm. and how all the dyslexia associations, um, support Orton Gillingham or that tier three type of reading approach. Um, so we kind of, we got ahead of it. We, that's why we're probably a little bit, um, uh, ahead of other school boards in Ontario because we started a year earlier and, um, we started building relationships with the, the program people and, uh, um, having some challenging conversations, but learning from each other. And now we have a wonderful team. So we were last year, the plan was to give um, every school four days of PD that supplies would come in and cover for them. Um, but again, uh, after, uh, I would say after Thanksgiving, that was kiboshed with uh -huh. the supply coverage. So the plan this year um, it's even better. We are going to be, so we're going to have two teams. So myself and one of the program people and my spec ed partner, another program person, we are going to go to all 55 schools. Um, I've been seconded. So this is a great news for speech what? language that, that, um, that they're honoring us to, to be able to do that. My um, special education coordinator, she's been seconded as well. And we're going to go into, um, so basically, um, these schools, and we're going to, um, we're, we're going to have a trail of 10 supply teachers following us. And um, we're going to have built in PLC times in those schools to talk about um, universal assess, uh, assessments, um, like screeners, diagnostics, um, and start off with some whole group interventions. Mm-hmm. And what is that going to look like your whole group interventions? Well, it's going to uh, exactly um, 
it's going to be quite precise. They're going to have scopes and sequences, developmental continuum and phonemic phonological awareness and in phonics and fluency. Mm-hmm. And as well as vocabulary and language, because mm-hmm. even though the report came out, um, it, it is heavily weighted to the encoding and decoding piece right. um, because it came out from the dyslexia. So and that's OK. That's great. Like I, I actually tallied the numbers of times vocabulary and language and it was like one fifth of the time. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're going to balance that. We're going to we're looking at a literacy block and literacy block is going to look at explicit instruction in maybe like two to five minutes three times a week on phonemic awareness. Maybe it's like we do have the Hagerty program, the resource Mm -hmm. in our our schools. Um, And then we're going to have an explicit phonics instruction and the use of of, uh, sound symbol correspondences and how that works. And um, using Elkonen boxes and say Mm -hmm. it, say it, tap it, map it, graph it kinds of organization. And then we have, we also have the sets of decodable readers going into all the schools as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And then the other two to three days that it will, the focus will be on vocabulary and language. And we're, we're discussing the need to really consider choosing materials that are cross-curricular in your social studies or in your science um, curriculum and using stories, whether fiction, nonfiction resources in that area. Nice. Well, that is all very exciting. It is. Yes. It's been a long time coming and it's very lofty, but we had um, uh, Tammy, the special education coordinator, and I gave four days of PD last week, and we, we were going to do it in person with 40 people within the first week. It was booked up and the superintendents asked us if we could do it, um, if we could uh, do it on teams and we were up to 150 people. So we had 150 people attending. Wow. They're hungry for it. People are hungry for it. I guess the thing is, is that they don't, the the hard part for them is thinking, how do we fit it all into a literacy block? So that seems to be. Um, the challenge right now. And that's, that's what our um, our relationship with the program, that's how the program people help out because that is their area of specialty. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point there. Yeah. Uh, So I'm conscious of the time here, Melinda, I want to finish us up in just a couple of minutes. So that's going to be your project. What does, will uh, your colleagues. uh, Excellent questions. What will they be doing? Excellent. So we got uh, on that specific, um, on that specific science of reading journey, we did get the Hagerty resource. They're going to be, they're supporting classroom teachers on phonemic awareness. That Scarborough rope has speech language pathology written all over it. And that's, you know, that it really does. You take, I don't really think there's any other profession that that has so much knowledge on so many of those threads, the entire language strand and the phonemic awareness uh, thread as well and the other strand. And I know the the brilliant um, uh, slides that you created with Osla was very helpful going forward. That was my starting point, like going forth with it. That was my my plunge in. And it was was so well done because everything was research-based on all of those little threads in there. It was wonderful. Hmm. So my colleagues, will be my colleagues are very um, confident in supporting phonological awareness. Um, All of our literacy kits are getting something called the EET, the expanding expanding expression tool. It was Mm. created by Sarah Smith, the speech path in Michigan. It is it is well researched that helps vocabulary and language and there's a written language connection to it, it as well. 
Um, that's one of my favorite resources. Mm. So the t- what'll happen is, um, and the oral language at your fingertip books, all of our schools have it. Right. Uh, and I'm trying to think, oh, the other big area too, that I assume, you know, you, you come at, you assume that people have the knowledge in, in syntax and morphology, and then you, you say something like dependent clause or independent clause, and they're looking at you aghast, and then you have to take a few steps back. So I think the, the bigger piece I have to get into next year is doing some training on syntax, because that's mm-hmm. going to link into the written language piece um, a lot. We just ordered a book for um, our group. It's The Writing Revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that we might be, the expanding expression tool has a nice uh, link to written language, but for higher grades, we're going to be looking, I think, at the writing revolution. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the speech paths are excited. They're a little scared. I'm going to be honest with you because they're doing, they're the, as I said, the multi-complex students, um, they, they really, um, they require and they should require a lot of our time initially. It's our job to ensure that all of our students have a functional communication system and are important um, important members of those classrooms. Right. Um, and then we do have some special needs classrooms as well in our school board, and we do we do consult in there um, regularly. Right. So. Right. Interesting. And your one and a half CDAs in this model, what are they doing? How are they deployed? Well, lucky for me this year, um, I was given um, the 0.5 to help me out in my schools because Mm -hmm. um, I was taken away a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Initially, um, you you can apply to our supervisor to use them. uh, um, The goal was to use them in our, our kindergarten classrooms um, that are what's used to, the old word used to be compensatory schools. So mm-hmm. those would be the schools that are in lower socioeconomic areas, high level of ELL, um, the, the kids coming in with more impoverished language, and they would go into the classrooms under the supervision of the speech path and demonstrate language facilitation techniques, i.e. hand and like techniques mm-hmm. um, to support, again, tier one in a way, but they'd be focusing on some other things as well, but go in and focus on that. Also, they also go into some of our special needs classrooms and model um, augmentative devices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Melinda, uh, uh, I want to just ask you about this one, you know, such exciting things going on. But tell me about, you know, the, we started off with those Arctic kids, you know, those individual syntax kids, you know, what's happening with them while we have all this fabulous sort of tier well, one emphasis going on? That We try our best. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a relationship in our community. Um, I know it's different with the school board rehab services. So in our community, um, we refer over uh, severe articulation, fluency, and voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we don't have quite the waiting list that other areas in Ontario have. Mm-hmm. So um, that helps out. And then they, um, they keep them until they're considered moderate. And then we get them back and we do service students in, again, we have a, this is one thing I, I didn't mention for direct service. It's really a, a, a K to grade two, uh, mm. the beginning of grade two. Um, and so we can, we're, uh, we offer, we can offer um, two blocks of intervention for that type of service. Mm-hmm. Right. And a block is six to eight sessions. Right. 
And then we have private practice clinicians in our area, yeah. and yeah. we offer that to parents as well. And we, mm -hmm. you know, we welcome in that one of the um, stumbling blocks is that parent connection in the schools. Mm -hmm. But if a parent ever wants to come in and watch, we're like, mm -hmm. okay. Right. Right. Well, that's that's quite a range of services you told me about, Melinda. What a, a lot of exciting projects and what an impact your group, you and your group are having, um, you know, really a part of what's going on at your school board and, and making that language literacy connection so important. It's clear that you're really, uh, you know, it, you know, someone, a resource that folks there are looking to uh, in leadership in this area. Yeah, I, I think I think um, we're probably one of the only professions that really gets into those kindergarten classes. Yes, and um, and works with kids in the classroom and works with teachers. Right, really gets started right from the ground mm -hmm. up. Then, eh? Yeah, the early intervention prevention model for sure. All right, Melinda, I want to thank you for your time and your visit to our podcast today. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Well, thank you. This was wonderful. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. You can find all podcasts, transcripts, and links to the episode resources on the SAC website. That's at sac-oac.ca. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you'd like to suggest a guest, please email the host, Lisa Archibald, at larchiba.uwo.ca. That's L-A-R-C-H-I-B-A at uwo.ca. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major podcast servers. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up on your platform and share it through your social media and other channels.